Welcome to Islam for Christians. This is episode 114, Quran, Surah 88, Al-Yashia, The Overwhelming. Has the news of the overwhelming event reached you, O Prophet? On that day, some faces will be downcast, totally overburdened, exhausted, burning in a scorching fire, left to drink from a scalding spring. They will have no food except a foul, thorny shrub, neither nourishing nor satisfying hunger. On that day, other faces will be glowing with bliss, fully pleased with their striving, in an elevated garden where no idle talk will be heard. In it will be a running spring, along thrones raised high, and cups set at hand, and fine cushions lined up, and splendid carpets spread out. Do they not ever reflect on camels, how they were masterfully created, and the sky, how it was raised high, and the mountains, how they were firmly set up, and the earth, how it was leveled out? So, continue to remind them, O prophet, for your duty is to remind you are not there to compel them to believe, but whoever turns away, persisting in disbelief, then God will inflict upon them the major punishment. Surely to us is their return, then surely with us is their reckoning. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad al Gandhi. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم هل أتاك حديث الغاشية وجوه يومئذ غاشعة عاملة ناسبة تصلى نارا حامية تسقى من عين آنية ليس لهم طعام إلا من ضريع لا يسمن ولا يغني من جوع وجوه يومئذ ناعمة لسعيها راضية في جنة عالية لا تسمع فيها لاغية فيها علم جارية Al-Rashia. It's not just the title of the surah, and it's not just the subject of the first line of the surah. 
it's a word that is universally translated into English as overwhelming. This is the noun form. So the overwhelming or the overwhelming event. And what makes this word so fitting is that it's perfect for all parts of this surah. The overwhelming horrors of hell, the overwhelming pleasures of paradise, the overwhelming majesty of God's creation and his authority over that creation, the overwhelming power of God as master of the final day. And Al-Gashia, it's not just overwhelming. I mean, it is, but it means a little more if you know the words that are related to it. The verb gasha, it means to overwhelm, but there are also more physical, uh, visual qualities to it. Things that help magnify the word in our minds, like to cover, to wrap, to envelop, to completely surround. That's the overwhelming. Al-Gashia is everywhere, and the human can do nothing once it's here. All you can do is surrender and succumb. The word for fainting, for example, is also closely related to this. You know, when someone is so overwhelmed that they lose all control. That is Al-Gashia. Being surrounded by overwhelmingness, if that's even a word. Apparently it is. Okay. <laughs> Overwhelmingness is a word. Now, this surah reads somewhat like an early Meccan surah. And it is technically a Meccan surah, but it's a late Meccan surah. But still, all the hallmarks are there. You have a contrast, a proclamation of God's majesty and authority, and a warning about what will come to those who do not repent and the reward that will come for those who do. And like many Meccan surahs, this one is broken up into distinct subjects, and the rhyme scheme actually tells you when you have moved on to a new part. You know, there's the first part, lines 1 to 16, where it's talking all about the qualities of heaven and hell. And they all end in the same feminine suffix. However, there are two exceptions in lines six and seven. But that's not just some random thing. It was done on purpose. The point was that these lines are talking about something ugly and satisfying. It's talking about bitter food and hunger that can't be quenched. And it completely messes up the rhyme scheme. And in a way, at least to me, makes it sound ugly. But then when you look at the actual content there, you're like, oh, it's supposed to be ugly. <laughs> but otherwise, there is the same rhyme scheme for the first 16 lines. And then the next uh, rhyme break is line 17 to 20, when... It's talking about why you should believe in the power and authority of God. And then after that, there is an R rhyme, an M rhymes, for the end message. It's the closer, which seems to be addressed more to Muhammad than anyone else. So that's kind of the basic rhyme 
and subject outline there, and we'll break it down that way. So we have the first part, heaven and hell. We'll call that 1A and 1B, because it's not just a list of the horrors and pleasures of both places. It actually contrasts very specific things. For example, in hell, we have five things that will be awful. Faces downcast, tired and overburdened, burning in a fire, drinking scalding water, eating bitter food that does not quench hunger. And then that is contrasted with heaven. And we have even more things that will be wonderful, like faces glowing with bliss, happy with fruitful, worthwhile effort, in a beautiful garden, with springs of water, on thrones with cushions, and all they could ever want, they have it. And the part on heaven is a bit longer, with a bit more detail than the hell part has, but the first four comparisons are the same. The state of people's faces, their mood at their efforts and satisfaction with them. Then there's the physical environment and the quality of water. And this isn't an accident. This is a different form of the common contrast given in earlier surahs that, that we've gone over before. You know, we've seen these. The comparisons are made as part of a larger theme of heaven and hell, rather than one thing in its opposite listed back to back. But it's the same strategy. It's just a little more broad in this one. Or should I say, different. And like many things, there is kind of a double meaning there too. Because all these things that I just read, they apply to this life as well as the next. It's not just in heaven. Because really, and I, I would agree with this even in this life, the man who is right with God does have a face glowing with bliss. His work lasts. It is forever worthwhile, yielding eternal life, and so on. The evil and the godless, even in this life, they have downcast faces. They are overburdened with no recourse, and they haven't even seen hell yet. And then we get to part two, a statement of God's authority. It's saying, hey, all of this stuff, why should you listen to this? Why should we believe this? Well, we're told, just look at the creation. Look at the work of God. Take the camel. The usefulness and design of the camel for the desert. It carries so much water. And it can move things, and it can be eaten, and its hair can be woven into useful things. The females will even give you milk. Now, if you remember the earlier surah, when we were talking about Thamud, where the city mistreats the camel that God gives them, and then it's basically wiped out. The camel is an Arabic metaphor for infinite utility in a gift. Value. You know, the things that really, really matter. They weren't just rejecting a camel. They were rejecting a gift, yes, but it was a gift that represented all that God does to help mankind. And the next example is the sky. 
the sheer order and consistency of the sky. This idea, especially to an ancient person, that it just stays up in the air. <laughs> it's just hard for us to appreciate how amazing that must have seemed to people who didn't understand how it worked. The sky staying where it was, it wasn't a given. They didn't know what an atmosphere was. If something went wrong, you would think the sky could collapse. I mean, just look at it. There's nothing holding it up there. And what about the other things in it? What's holding up those things? Uh, they didn't know, and there was a there was a great mystery to it. And then we have mountains, the immensity and immovability of the mountains. No one goes through a mountain, or at least they didn't at the time. You know, it was impossible. There was no dynamite. You had to go around it, or you had to go over it, if it was small enough. The mountains didn't blow away like a sand dune would eventually blow away. They're permanent, or at least they are to human perception. They didn't really understand how this was possible. And the sheer immovability of a mountain would seem miraculous. And then there is the earth itself, its vastness. As far as ancient people were concerned, the earth didn't end. So you have this giant thing, and it's perfectly suited to humans. Just think about it. The thing we need the most surrounds us constantly. We would die in a matter of minutes without oxygen, and wouldn't you know it, it's everywhere. It literally surrounds us. Our life breath is almost infinitely abundant in our environment. And then the thing we need the second most, that would be water, which we basically need every day. And wouldn't luck have it, it literally falls from the sky. It's kind of amazing, even from our point in time. So, we're being told here, look at the creation to understand the wonder of the creator and his nature. And now, after providing air and food and water and more, God is offering the spirit of life. Not just life, eternal life. However, it won't be forced on people, the Quran warns here. Which brings us to part three. Muhammad can only tell people. God will be the actor in the final judgment. The Quran literally says, in this final part that is mostly addressed to Muhammad. You have no power over these people. Muhammad, you are just a warner, a messenger. God is the judge. People return to God, not to Muhammad. And God will do the punishing, not Muhammad. It is God who will bring the Al-Gashia, the overwhelming. That force is beyond human capacity to withstand, to control, to break away from. And funny enough, in Christianity, we also have a word for that. We call it sin. That's not just something that happens on the last day. and That is every day. Only God can break that Hashia 
to raise humans to his level, thus the need for the Redeemer in Christianity, and the development of a whole new positive Christia, the overwhelming, all-encompassing love of God, the Algashia of love. That would be kind of a Christian thing. And this kind of exists for Muslims too, at least for those who do good works. The good will be wrapped and smothered with the rewards of God, and the bad, well, they will get a different Algashia, an all-encompassing force of fire and anguish, and it will be applied by the ultimate force, the Gashia to end all Gashias, which is God himself on the Day of Judgment. And remember, as the Quran says, God is not only infinitely and incomprehensibly powerful, he is nearer to you than your jugular vein. And that is an overwhelming force. And on the last day, you will most definitely want to be on the right side of that force. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.